0: You can find it on page 1,646. And before we read, let's pray. Lord, through your word, come and change our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. We're starting at verse 14, and we'll read through verse 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
1: There's an interesting space in the the telling of the Ten Commandments story the, in, in Exodus where, where Moses goes up onto the mountain to, to receive the law of the Lord. And when he comes down and he tells the new commandments to the people of Israel, they say to him, you go talk to God for us. He's too scary. They keep God at a distance. They, they understand that God is actually on that mountain, that God has actually come to visit them and, and engage with them. And yet, knowing that God is there, the people tremble in fear. Because seeing God, beholding the, the holy God, is, is too much for them to comprehend, too fear-inducing for them. They know they are an unholy people. They know that if they were to set foot on that mountain in the midst of their sin with no mediator between them, they would be doomed. And so they send Moses. (laughs) You go, Moses. There is throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, this fear of seeing God. Isaiah has it. you may remember that, that call on Isaiah in chapter six. Isaiah goes into the temple to, to be there, and, and he's suddenly overwhelmed with the presence of God's glory. It fills to the temple, and Isaiah cries out, "Woe is me! I am undone!" Literally what he says is, "I am uncreated, beholding, seeing. God sends in him this sense of every fiber of his being being exposed before God and he cries out, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. How can I ever stand before the holy people of God? Time and time again, this thought and this encounter of seeing God strikes fear into the people's hearts. And yet we have in this text twice where it talks about seeing God. And we're going to come into that because what happens here on this Christmas day and in our celebration of Christmas is a God who makes Himself possible to be seen by us. A God who steps into a form and takes on a form that allows us to encounter Him in the flesh in a way that is not meant to drive fear into our hearts, but to draw us closer to Him. Here's where that text starts. Just two of those verses, the opening and ending of what Don read. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now it's important for us to recognize the language being used there because it is, it is temple tabernacle language of seeing the glory of God. It was the glory of God on the mountain that caused the people to fear. It was the glory of God that fills the tabernacle when it's finally made and the people all step back and no one can go near it because the glory of God is so powerful and so holy that they don't draw near. And yet we have John saying in very clear words, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God's glory the glory of the immense creator of the whole heaven and earth has been poured into the flesh of one person Jesus Christ and that glory is no longer fear inducing but inviting and John says God's glory we've seen God's glory in the flesh a fullness of grace and truth mixed together and it is a good thing And then John does a little theological reflection. He says, no one has ever seen God. That's the posture they've had. If you've seen God, you've you've died. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. Christ, being born among us, Jesus, who was God from the beginning, who is God through all time, has come near to us and has made the incomprehensible God known to us. This was such a powerful experience for John that later on in his life, when he's writing his, his letters to, to the churches that he is discipled, he, he says it this way, that which was from the beginning, being Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. You Get the immensity of what he's saying here? John is saying, I've actually touched God. I've sat next to God. I've seen Him. I've heard Him. I've touched Him. I've, I've had supper with Him. I've eaten fish by the seashore with Him. I've hung out with God and shared a meal with Him. I've journeyed around dusty Israel and Judea with Him. I've been in a boat with Him. I mean, who do you go fishing with? Right? I've been out fishing with Jesus. John is driving home the point that this immense God who has created the heavens and the earth, actually took on human flesh and confined himself to the human body and lived and walked among us. And John, who is there, says, I touched God. And I'm still alive. That's good news. The God of the whole universe is not wrathful and vengeful and out to get us, but he's actually drawn near to us. He's put himself in a form that we can see and comprehend and that we do not need to be afraid of. In fact, it's meant as a gift of love and to inspire wonder and awe within us. And Voskamp writes, So God throws open the door of this world and enters as a baby, as the most vulnerable imaginable because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God that wanted so much intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender we could touch him, so fragile we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be hurt? God, desiring to be with us. God desiring that we would see Him and know Him and understand Him. God desiring that we would never be separated from Him takes on our vulnerability, our dependency as His own. He becomes a baby. A baby born to a young mother living in a military-occupied country in the back country of it where there's no room for them taking on the immensity of our vulnerabilities as His own. Saying, I'm here with you in the midst of the brokenness and fear and anxiety that you experience. I am the God who is with you because I'm taking it all on as my own. I'm taking on your flesh, your weakness, your struggles. I'm taking on your vulnerability, your oppression going to be my own. God becoming a baby, becoming vulnerable, becoming one of us because he desires intimacy with us. God wants to be so close to us. Isaiah 65 gives a glimpse of the new heavens and new earth and the the intimacy that God desires with us as well as the the fullness and peace and shalom of the whole creation. It's, it's the passage in Isaiah that uses the language of new heavens and new earth. What God's promising that will come at the end of time and, and the fullness of what God's at work doing in Jesus Christ. And in that context, he says this, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. God's saying, I want to be so close that you don't even have to finish your sentences. I want to be so close to you that I I hear what you're thinking and feeling and we don't even have to use the words. I want to be that close to you that you could hear my heartbeat and I hear your heartbeat. That type of intimacy is is what God's drawing us towards. And in Jesus Christ, He's making that, that desire and that love known that He enters in among us to say, I'm here with you. I hear you no matter where you're at and what you're going through. I hear you. I hear you even before you call out to Me. And if we jump to that passage in Revelation, he adds this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. How close does someone have to be to wipe away the tears from your eyes? Can they do that from a distance? Wiping away the tears from someone's eyes is an incredible act of intimacy. I mean, at best, we might hand them a handkerchief and say, here or shove a a box of Kleenex towards them. We even put them out on the pews here. Right? But to actually get close enough to somebody to wipe the tears from their eyes. There's an intimacy that God's communicating that's not full of threat and danger and condemnation, but a God who draws close enough to us who becomes one with us, who enters into our suffering with us, who sees it and hears it even when we can't put words to it and says, I know. I know what you're going through. I know what you're experiencing. And I'm there with you and I'm working to make everything new. And there will be a day when I can wipe those tears away and they'll never come back again. They will be removed. The injustices in the world, the great complex atrocities that we have a hard time understanding and even a more difficult time figuring out how to respond to, as well as those personal incidents of brokenness. where We feel the pain in the absence of loved ones and the brokenness in our own bodies and our own choices and our own behaviors. God says, I see it. I know it. And I'm with you in it. And I desire to be close enough to you and for you to be close enough to me that you'll let me wipe the tears from your eyes. A God who loves us that much. Philippians puts it this way. It's talking about Jesus Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, I I love you enough that I will spend everything I have in order to convince you and persuade you that you are loved. I will spend everything I have in order to make a way for you and God to be reunited, to be reconciled. Instead of demanding my rights, I will use all my rights and resources to bless you, to reconcile you, to bring you back into that intimacy with the Father that you actually crave and long for. God who lays down Life. What's amazing to me is that God took on flesh and took on our brokenness, but even more amazing that he did so in order to die for us. He did so in order that through that birth and that vulnerability that he would continue to live a life of vulnerability, allowing us to nail him to a cross. Hands that he created. Materials that He called into existence being used to nail Him to a cross so that He might express the intimacy of His love and the extent of His love for us. And in Him, we might experience the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God both now and in the life to come. But His pattern... The pattern of becoming one with us also calls us into a new way of living. Frederick Buechner writes, The child born in the night among beasts, the sweet breath and steaming dung of beasts, nothing is ever the same again. Those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of Him again. Once they have seen Him in a stable, they will never be sure where He will appear or to what lengths he will go, or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of humankind. God is saying to us, "I I love you enough that I'm going to become one of you and become a baby born in the muck and mire of a stable, and I love you enough to continue revealing myself to you. That continued revelation comes in even in the places we're called to serve. As Jesus was talking to His disciples. He gives this parable where it's about the sheep and the goats. And He he says it this way, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, You did for me. In other words, part of what Jesus is saying to us is not just go out and serve out of a sense of duty, but go out and serve because as you do, you will encounter me in the least of these, in people you never expected to see me in. You will find me. You will find me as you serve. You will encounter me as you serve. You will see God as you serve. Others. Martin Busser, who was a contemporary of John Calvin, he talked about all sorts of societal reform and big initiatives, but when it came down to it, he said the whole reason we serve is because God's image is in us and we cannot experience the fullness of God's image. We cannot encounter the fullness of God unless we are serving so, this incarnation day is a day where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We celebrate God's desire to be intimate with us, a God who entered our brokenness and suffering. But we also hear in it a call a call to continue looking for God in the least of these, a call to continue going out in the same pattern in which Christ came to us with vulnerability, with humility, and in service so that we might serve others and convey to them the image of God, but also so that we might continue to see God and encounter Him in the places we least expect Him to show up. After all, if He could be born in a stable in the back country of Judea to a teenage mom among the muck and mire of the animals and the oppression of the Roman Empire, He can show up anywhere. Let's pray. We are in awe of you. We are in awe that you would humble yourself, that you would lower yourself to come and live among us in our brokenness and take it on as your own. We pray that you would give us an overwhelming sense of awe, of joy, of thanksgiving, of wonder, because of what you have done in being born among us. And we pray, Lord, for hearts that are soft and sensitive to you, for eyes and ears that look and listen for you, that we might see you everywhere we go. Open our eyes to your grace in the faces of the people around us and in the circumstances where we least expect you. Show up, Lord. Help us to see you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing in response, What child is this?